As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My name's Russell Spatz. I'm an alcoholic. Member of the uh, South Dixie Group, and it's good to be here. And I haven't found necessary to have a drink, nor have I had a drink since January 25th, 1981. Okay, and uh, so I'm going to talk about a few things. I have no clue. You know, when I first came today, my sponsor, my first sponsor, I've had four of them and a bunch of mentors and said to me, you know, Russell, you got to lower your expectations because you have all these expectations about how meetings are supposed to go and what people are supposed to say and how life is supposed to unfold. And you're just filled with resentments when it doesn't go your way and people don't do what you want them to do. You got to lower your expectations. So this is sort of like supposed to be, well, forget about what it's supposed to be. It's going to be whatever I'm going to talk about, but it's uh, like we're around the eighth. I've been doing six and seven for the last two or three, four, whatever the heck I've been doing, because I live on six and seven, honestly, you know, I mean, it's part of the deal. It's their old timer steps. And I'm going to get in a little bit about that, but, but to me, six and seven have a lot to do with uh, the eighth and ninth step. And, uh, you know, what I'm hoping is, uh, I've, I've, you know, I'm 72 years old and I've been sober for a little over 40 years and I've changed since I had three months. <laughs> I've changed since I've had three. I've changed since I've had 30 years. I've changed. And uh, along with the change that has happened to me, as you can well imagine, has been my change in perception, the way I perceive things. You know, I started off according to the big book, and I believe the big book is true. So this isn't even my opinion. This is based upon what the big book says. I started off delusional, which means I can't separate the true from the false. Listen, 90%, just in case you're wondering, 9% of the stuff that I'm throwing out at you, no matter what words I use, is right out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous or the uh, adjoining uh, conference-approved material. So if you disagree with me, you're free to disagree with me. I mean, this is just my experience. You're not disagreeing with me. You're disagreeing, disagreeing with the book Alcoholics Anonymous, which is, okay, we all sort of do that. We all sort of put our own spin on it. You know, you got your, there's the books program, and then there's your program and my program and 15,000 different programs. 
But the great thing about this is all I have to do is try to carry a message. And that's what I'm going to try to do tonight. I can't carry the message. I can't force somebody to do what I want them to do. If I could force some, you know, if, if I worried about Alkies doing what I want them to do, I'd be an Al-Anon right now, you know, and, you know, they do whatever they do, you know, <laughs> they do whatever they do. All I can do is try to carry a message and that's all I'm going to try to carry. And the best message I can carry is the message of my own sobriety, my own experience. And my experience has changed tremendously. Let me, let me just tell you this. I've been doing step series for 35 years. Ever since I was five years sober, I've been doing this stuff. And I just want to tell you something. I used to be good at doing step series. I just want you to know that. For you guys who are saying, why isn't he talking about the eighth step? Why isn't he talking about the ninth or the tenth or the third? Why does he just sort of seem to be rambling around, talking about God, quoting the gospel, you know, saying all sorts of spiritual stuff? Why does he seem to be meandering? Some of you guys might actually walk out of here every once in a while and say, yeah, it was sort of all over the place, but it sort of made sense. That's what really kills you, doesn't it? Doesn't it kill you when you're not sure what doesn't it kill you when it doesn't look like I'm talking about any step, but you walk out and you start thinking about it and you said, whatever it is, it really made sense. And so you, you say, I don't know what that guy said. I think I've been to a Bible study. I'm not even sure. Was it AA? I've never heard anything like that. But the point is, like a train wreck, you keep coming back. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? I used to follow around guys like my sponsors who used to do that stuff. They'd get up and talk for an hour and, and I'd listen and I'd be rocking in the fourth dimension and I'd be illuminated and things would come together for me. And I, I said, I'd say it was like watching a guy on a tightrope. I said, how does he do that? How do you do that? You know, I'm an attorney and I can't talk for an hour about this stuff. And they just sort of do it because they were talking about their lives and I don't know, they just talking about stuff. So, uh, so, but there used to be a time in my life where, like there is for you, if you got three months or three years or five years or 10 years, where I thought of the steps, you know, what these steps do is they're counterintuitive. In other words, everything about the program is counterintuitive. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is it's not comfortable. It beckons you to do stuff that you ordinarily would not do. If the program told you to do stuff that you usually do anyway, you wouldn't have to go to meetings. You wouldn't need a sponsor. You wouldn't need some pain in the ass guy saying, why don't you just shut up and do it? You know, do the fourth step. They tell you to do stuff that you don't want to do that sometimes, especially early on the first 10 years, don't make sense. Let me tell you what makes sense to me. What makes sense to me is A is great, but if I had a million dollars, everything would be okay. A is great, but if I could only get laid or had a good-looking girl, everything would be okay. AA, you know, makes a lot of sense. But I know that uh, the world is crappy and people are crappy. And if only everybody did things my way, everything would be okay. AA makes sense, but the real problem is not me, but other people. When I, I, whenever I'm disturbed, trust me, whenever I'm disturbed, no matter what the cause, there's something wrong with the world or other people. I can prove it to you. I can prove it to you mathematically. You know, my conception is not when I'm disturbed, there's something wrong with me. That's not, I don't go there like immediately. You know what I mean? <laughs> I go to, I, I blame people. I complain. I'm a thumb sucking crybaby. And you know something that seems natural to me. I cannot, my alcoholic life and by my alcoholic life, I mean, sober 
as an alcoholic. My alcohol, because my I have a disease which isn't even drinking. I have a disease that centers in my mind, not my body. The drinking is but a symptom of my disease. My alcoholic disease, my alcoholic thinking, my alcoholic life seems normal to me. It seems normal to me. It seems normal to me to be pissed off. It seems normal to me to be upset all the time. It seems normal to me to be anxious, to be anxious, you know, because, well, if it happened to you, you'd feel the same way. And as a matter of fact, the men I used to hang out with talked exactly like me. They said the exact, they thought exactly like me. Hey, Russ, look at that blonde over there. You know what I mean? Man, this world sucks. Your boss is an asshole. You know, your wife, you got to get rid of that. They, they thought and talked exactly like me. That's why I love Alkies. They're the only people that really understood me. You know what I mean? Church people would never understand me. I never hung around them because they're self-righteous and they're full of shit. You know, they think they're better than me. You know what I mean? I like Alkies. You know, Alkies, because they say things like, it's all fucking bullshit, Russell. <laughs> Whole fucking world is bullshit. You're full of shit. I'm full of shit. It's all fucking bullshit. I like that stuff. I like that stuff sober, you know, because you know something? Because that's the way I think. So I feel comfortable in a group of Alkies. I, my whole life has been hanging around Alkies. You know what I mean? I, I, I'm still doing it. For 40 years, I can't get away from them. I go away on vacation. I'll, I'll, I, my wife used to say to me, Why? and all of a sudden, some Alkies would come around me and start talking to me. My wife says, what is it with you? Why, do they, why, why, why are they attracted to you? They seek you out. I told her one time I was in a casino and five guys drinking, so five alkies. I mean, I know you guys. I know when Alcoholics Anonymous, don't they have this thing? I don't, I've never understood why they do this, but somebody will teach me that you can't call another person alcoholic. Believe me, I've been around long enough. I can call other people alcoholics. I know what an alcoholic is when I see him. You know, some guy shakes my hand and says, I'm going to get that son of a bitch. I think alcoholic immediately. <laughs> he may have never had a drink in his life. I think alcoholic. You know what I mean? I say, this guy's an alcoholic. So I'm in a casino one time and like five guys came over to me and they're all drinking. We're all having a good time and I'm talking to them and I'm sober and they're drunk and they're just hovering around me talking. And uh, my wife says, what is it with you? What is it with these people? You know what I mean? I says, well, you know. He says, why do they like? I said, because I don't judge them. They know I'm not judging them. I, I love them. I like, I, 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 you know, listen, I'm, I'm one of them. You know what I mean? That's the deal. So what happens is um, my, my perception has changed. How did my perception change? Well, it's like a milkshake. You know, it's not any one thing. Dr. Young said, Ideas, emotions, and, and attitudes, which are the guiding forces of these men's lives. In other words, you think a certain way, you act a certain way, you believe a certain way, you're absolutely clear on it. And the way you think and believe and act and how you are as an alcoholic, you're thinking. It doesn't, it, the, the crazy complaining, feel sorry for yourself, self-pitying, Thinking doesn't, the, the real alcoholism that centers in your mind, not your body, does not stop when you put the plug in the jug. 
As a matter of fact, it gets worse. Because now the one thing you used, I'm an alcoholic because no woman, no car, no matter amount of money ever worked quite as well as just a few drinks. That's why I drank it. Because it's the best medicine for me for alcoholism. Now, I didn't know that before I came in here, but I know the one thing that I can use to remove fear completely so I can feel like I like the group loves me and I love everybody and don't screw with me because you don't know what you and you don't know what anything. And the one thing that makes me feel like like the handsomest guy in the room, the bravest guy. I know one thing is just a little scotch, you know, just a, just I drank for the noble art of getting bombed. My excuse for drinking, my excuse for drinking, I was awake. Good enough for me. You know what I mean? Good enough for me. Nothing ever worked just as well as drinking. So the I drank because like they say in the book, I, because I can't stand being sober. I hate being sober. You know, I mean, I, sober to me is boring. It's uh, restless. It's irritable. It's just put whatever names you want to put on it. You know, that's what it is for me. So when I stop drinking, you know, then I have nothing to relieve really the pain of being sober in this world. I'll go after other things. I'll go after sex. I'll go after money. I'll go after whatever I have to go after. I'll be addicted to anything. You know what I mean? Just to sort of like stop myself from the crazy freaking thoughts that I have. I got like, one guy said, you know, I think you have a split personality. I said, shit, I wish I could get it down to two. I'd be okay. You know what I mean? I got 10,000 voices. They're all telling me the same thing. I'm a piece of crap. I ought to kill myself. You know, I mean, there's all sorts of stuff going on. as an alcoholic. I mean, there's so many moving parts in the world. That's all. It's almost like people are doing their own shit without consulting me. You know what I mean? It's like really crazy shit. So, you know, when I first came day and they started, and, and, and so one of the, one of the, re, why did I, how did I change? Well, one of the things I did to change was I, and I don't even know how this happened because it doesn't happen to a lot of people. My sponsor told me many are called, but few are chosen. And for some reason, not because I deserve it, not because I'm smart. I, I don't know. I, I'll never be able to tell you. So I just blame it on God. I say, it's the grace of God why it happened to me and it happens to other people. It doesn't happen to everybody because it doesn't happen to everybody. You know, I don't know what the statistics are. One of, you know, like it says one half of 1% actually get more than 20 years sobriety. A lot of people drink before they get 20 years, before they get 10 years. I don't know what the deal is, but I know I was attracted. I came in here and I ran into men, men I hung around with talked about getting laid. They talked about money. They talked about bullshit. They talked about everything. I, they were bar drinkers. They talked about the stuff that Alki's talk about. I don't remember any time in my drinking life where I hung around men that held hands and said the Lord's Prayer. I don't remember that ever. I don't remember ever hanging around men that prayed. I don't remember any, ever hanging around men that did the things we're supposed to do or tried to help other or any of that stuff that we do in here. I came in here. I don't know how this happened, but I ran into men who were different. They were like serious. They were committed. They weren't dilettantes. Like I spoke about it. They were committed to sobriety. 
They, they said the Lord's Prayer. They used the word God. Many of them read the Bible. They didn't think it was a joke. They didn't, they didn't roll their eyes when people talked about God or religion or anything like that. You know, they weren't pissed off at that kind of stuff. They were serious. About, they were serious. And those are the men that I was attracted to and the women, but mostly for me, the men, I was attracted to them because they had what I wanted and I didn't even know what they had, but I could just tell because of the way they carried themselves. You know, they weren't, they weren't scared. You know, they, they just, I, I, they seemed to have courage and they seemed to be uh, the kind of men that I, I wanted what they, I guess that's what I wanted. I wanted what they had. And you know, it's funny. There's actually a step before the steps in the big book. Just like I couldn't take trigonometry until I took algebra. And I couldn't take calculus until I took analytical geometry. And I couldn't take this until I took that. There was a step before the steps. And the step before the steps is, if you want what we have, whoever we is, I guess you got to find a we in here. A person or group of people that have something you want. If you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. Now, there are some people that want what we have, but they're not willing to go to any length to get it. They're not ready to take the steps. They can take the steps. They can take the steps, but somewhere along the line, they'll fade out. They'll stop. They won't do it. Because it'll get to a point in time at five years or 10 years or 20 years that in order to move forward and you have to move forward, you got to you got to you got to have a way of life where you maintain and grow a spiritual life and you increase your contact with God. And you get more like in the sixth step that separates the men from the boys that it continues for a lifetime where you repeatedly work on this so you can grow in the image and likeness of your creator, that you can make God the centerpiece of your life where you can utterly demand in yourself to him so you can be rocking in the fourth dimension, there will be a point in time where they will, like my sponsor said, the problem is they get too well so too fast. They will stop drinking. They'll get the wife back. They'll get the, the, the house back. They'll get the car back. And they'll do what they say in the sixth step. They will settle for that. And their idea of settling is they'll say, well, I'm not drinking. And they think that's a success. And in AHA, Early on, you'll hear, and it's true, if you're an alcoholic and you haven't had a drink today, you're a winner. And it's true to a certain extent. But with that attitude, somewhere along the line, at some point in time, the cares of this world and the worry of this world and the stuff that's going on here will choke them off from the sunlight of the spirit, and they won't be happy with their sobriety, and they'll drink again. Which is why, this is no mystery, which is why you will hear of people that come in here and say, I had 18 years and then I drank. There is no other explanation. I had 10 years and then I drank. I had five years and then I drank, then I had three years and then I drank. Which is why they will go back to the insanity because once again, they are not happy with their sobriety. You know, that's the, that's the deal. And, and so to me, it was a combination of a couple of things. Number one, hanging out with people that I was attracted to, that I wanted what they, you see, some people, you want what they, you want what they have, but you're not willing to go any length to get it. Sometimes you don't even want they have what they have. So you're not ready. You may do a fourth step, a fifth step, ninth, whatever the step it is, 
But unless you're locked into looking at something or somebody that wants what you have, you could have 40 years. And, and unless you have something in front of you, say, I don't have it yet. Bill Wilson used to call it, uh, you know, this, this concept of, of constantly being hungry for more, for more God, getting closer to him, you know. And, and unless you got that thing going for you, at some point in time, you're just going to settle. You're going to stop. And as soon as you stop, you start going backwards. I mean, that's the way it works. And part of the deal was, was this concept, like they say in the first step, in the, in, before you even hit the first step, you're ready to take the steps if you want what we have and you're willing to go to England to get it. Now, some people have to go out there and experiment 50 times and some people have to get hit over the head and all sorts of things. Sometimes, sometimes it can happen while you're in here. All of a sudden you turn. I've seen guys at 20 years they're doing the steps, they're staying sober, they're not happy. And all of a sudden something happens to their lives. It's a major thing, okay? And they just turn around and all of a sudden they get committed. And they want what we have and they're willing to go. They know that there's more. They know that there's more and that kind of stuff. They want what they have and they're willing to go to any length to get it. So one, one of the things is who you hang out with. Who you hang out with. I used to think, and I'm one of these guys that at night I was hanging out with my sponsor. During the day I was hanging out with my sponsor. When you hang around with men who have 20, 30 years, and, and you know, one of the things that happens when you hang around with men with 20 or 30 years and stuff like that, or long-term sobriety or stuff like that is, believe it or not, it sounds weird. You, you start, you start, when they talk, they talk differently. When they answer questions, they answer questions differently. When they, when you ask, they, they act differently. They think that you learn how they, you learn how they think and you listen. Many times I'd be with my spot and, and you know what men who have 15, 20, 25 years, 30 years who are committed, hang out with other men who have 20, 30, you know, 40 years, they hang out with other men like them. That's who they hang with. And so what happens is you start listening to them and you don't even realize you're like modeling your life. You're, I was, I heard in a non-A setting, an athlete once said, the man you'll become in the next five years will depend on the people you hang out with in the books you read. And the books you read will depend upon the people you hang out with. I'm an alcoholic. One of the consequences of being an alcoholic is you want to be accepted. One of the, and that, that desire for people to accept you, that almost killed me outside when I was hanging around with the knuckleheads, like to kill me, saved my ass when I was in here because I wanted what these guys had and I was willing to go to any lake to get it to be accepted by them. But I picked the right people and I wanted what they had. And so that was important. And I thought maybe that's what it is. It was osmosis. You just hang around and go to meetings and it sort of floats. Up. And then, of course, if you hang around these guys, you find out they'll tell you, you got to do your four step. You got to do your fit. You got to do this. You got to do that. You're doing this wrong. You're doing that wrong. They'll tell you. So you're going to do the steps anyway, because if you're going to hang with them, you're going to do the work just to be accepted by them. So it's, it's, it's who I hang out with. It's the fellowship. It's the work on the steps. And when I first start doing the steps, they're so unusual. They're so different that, that it's almost impossible to understand them because it doesn't fit within my idea of my paradigm is how life is supposed to work and how I'm supposed to think. And, and the bottom line is, is that through, when I start working them, the steps, it's very clear to me I'm working them. Oh, I, oh, I did a third step. What did we do? I did a third step. I did a third, I turned that one over. I did a, oh, I'm doing another fourth step. Oh, I did a 10th step. Oh, I think that's the second step. Oh, I just helped that guy. I think that's a 12th step. 
You know what I mean? I did a fifth step. So I, I, I went to the group and I admitted what was a, whatever. You're doing the steps and it's clear that you're doing them. You, you can almost say, I did last last night, I did this step. I did that step. That's this. You know what steps you're doing. What happens, you know, sort of like any game of game, like tennis or something like that, when you're doing the steps all the time, the first year, the second year, the third year, the fourth year, the 10th year, the 15th year, the 20th year, the 25th year, you reach the point in time where you stop doing the steps. You're just living your life. You developed a way of life which demands rigorous honesty. You're doing the steps, but you don't think that you're doing the steps. You're just living your life because you've been doing the steps so long. It's just the it's 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 just what you do. When you when if you're disturbed, you know you think about why you're disturbed. You know there's something wrong with you. You don't blame somebody else, and uh, and you go up to the guy and say, "Listen, I'm sorry I said that to you." And you don't really do that stuff that much because you pretty much catch yourself because you got you practice restraint of tongue and pen. So you're not really you're not apologizing too much because you really don't have much to apologize to for. I mean, you just you just start start living your life. So they call you to do the steps and you say, what are those things? I mean, you got to try to remember what you try to got You got to remember what they were. You know what I mean? Because all you've been doing is living life as a sober alcoholic. Who's uh, what do they call it? Um, you know, an alcoholic. The next frontier, emotional sobriety. And so Carl Jung said, it said in talking about alcoholics, he said these about men and women. He says they have ideas, emotions, and attitudes, you know, which are shifted to one side, and they become dominated by a whole new set of ideas, emotions, and attitudes. And another thing that comes into play is not only hanging around with the right people. And not only following directions and not only doing the steps, but the pain of not growing up. Because one of the things that changes your perception, and it's part of the mix, and you'll have to understand that it's true, it's right of the book of James, is the repeated humiliations and the final crushing of your self-sufficiency, which over a period of time brings you to the point where you say, I got to stop doing that shit. You know what I mean? I got to stop doing that shit. I got to stop cheating on my wife. I got to stop, you know, stealing money. I got to stop doing that shit. You know what I mean? And uh, it's very, very hard, you know, to to be, try to be a sober alcoholic and grow in the image likeness of God and cheat on your wife. I mean, it's not hard to do it. It's hard to live with it. It's hard not to suffer consequences as opposed to it. And I, I picked that out, but I can pick a million other things. So, so it's not only doing it and hanging around with people that you want to respect you and want to, and, 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 and doing this, that, but it's also the pain that happens from not doing it. So there's a lot of stuff that sort of goes into it. And I found that one of the things I found is that I see the world, not the way the world is. I see the world the way I am. Many times I'll have clients, I'm an attorney, or I'll have alcoholics that I sponsor, that I talk to, that they're telling me a situation that they're in. And I'm looking at them and I'm saying, this is a man who's caught in a delusion (laughs) where he's crazy. And he sees things 
if this guy walks in the court and tells the judge what he just told me, he, they're not going to put him in jail. They're going to put him under the fucking jail. You know? And I got to try to explain to him, look at it from a different point of view. I mean, this here, this here stuff of trying to kill the judge is not approved of. You know what I mean? I don't care how bad you think he is. It's really not the judge is the judge and the jury is not going to look at it the way you look at it. Okay. <laughs> Even though you're pissed off and I understand you're pissed off. So, you know, we're, we're, we're delusional. And so as we change, we change the way we look at things. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So when I first came into alcohol and, and as I changed, I changed in the way I talk about things because now I have, now it's not even that I'm mimicking the book, even though I believe in the book and, and I've come to, I come to the point where I believe everything in the book is right because I prove it to myself over the years of doing this thing. But, but what happens is my, my, my thinking, what, what happens is, is that not only does my thought process change, but the way I look at the entire world changes, the way I look at the steps change. So the way I look at the steps, when I was five years sober, when I was five years sober and I was doing something like this, I would tell you how to do the eighth step. You wouldn't even need me. I would tell you, I would open up the book. I would say, you get it from the fourth step. You get it from the list, but there may be people not on the list in your four step, like my son. I didn't have resentment against them, but he was on the eight step list. I would tell you about harms. We talk about harms and we talk about all that stuff. I would tell you what I did. I would tell you what I did to put him on the list. You know what I mean? How I did it. I tell you my experience. I talk about guilt. I talk about the things of fear and guilt and having relationships with other people. I would talk about the stuff they talk about in the big book. You know what I mean? I probably wouldn't mention God. I probably wouldn't mention God because God has nothing to do with making a list. I wouldn't mention God. Not because I, 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 I don't, I, I just, it's just, because God has nothing to do with the fourth step or really the fifth step or the sixth step. To me, they're just, it's very, you don't have to believe in God to do these steps. I mean, that's the way I would think. I wasn't a bad AA. I was just an AA that didn't see God in any of this stuff. 
You understand what I'm saying? Because when I came to AA, I, they gave me a big book. And the big book they gave me was like this, you know? It was a book, the big book in the 12 and 12 was a book. And I read it and I underlined it. It was a book that told me a practical way of relieving the, the obsession and compulsion to drink. And it didn't really talk about God that much. It mentioned God and higher power. There was an appendix that said God could be anything, which means it could be nothing. You know what I mean? They had chapters of the agnostics, but uh, everybody in the group said it's okay to be an agnostic and an atheist. Apparently, A doesn't disapprove of that. You know what I mean? And besides, you got your program. I got my program. And they told me not to talk about the God stuff because they'll chase away the newcomer. And, you know, that's not really what it's all about and everything. So, so, and so, and you can do a fourth step and a fifth step and you can do all those steps and you don't have to talk about God and do any of the God thing, you know? And so it was very easy for me, you know, to just sort of talk about that stuff. And I wasn't wrong. I wasn't wrong. I wasn't saying anything wrong. I was, I was taught, you know, the fourth step, they have a list right there. And they probably mentioned God somewhere in the big book. I think they do, but I mean, it, it wasn't like in your face. You understand? Every once in a while, we'd have somebody come in that it was in your face. But of course, uh, I was told that they were stupid or idiots or something like that. Except except for those men I hung around. They didn't think that stuff was stupid at all. Somewhere around 10 years sober, I got to a point in my life where I was doing well. I felt well. I felt okay, except for when I was nervous or anxious or, you know, scared or something like that. But I hadn't had a drink. You know, I was not drinking. And I didn't know what to do. And uh, they, uh, and I, I, a guy came up to me, he says, you know, have you ever gone to Bible study? Now, I had not read Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers at that point. I didn't realize that the books they found absolutely essential were 1 Corinthians 13, Sermon on the Mount of the Book of James. I didn't know any about that stuff. The only thing I know, I, I know it says in the book that we lose all prejudice, even against organized religion. But what I heard in the fellowship you see, there's the book and then there's a the fellowship. Uh, what I heard in the fellowship is that religion is bad. Organized religion is bad. You understand what I'm saying? Being spiritual is good. Because everybody in the, in the AA fellowship was saying, I'm spiritual, not religious. And what I take that to mean is basically a phrase that say, religious people stupid, religion stupid, Bible bad, being spiritual is good. And so I thought, since I went to meetings, I said the Lord's Prayer, and I did all that. I thought I was spiritual. Now, the truth is, let me tell you what the honest truth is. I, I, would, I would throw the Lord under the bus for a million bucks. I, I, would, I would throw every piece of integrity I have under the bus for a good-looking gal, a beautiful house, and a million bucks. You know what I mean? I'm a material, I'm a material man. I'm an alcoholic. I'm selfish. I'm not was an alcoholic. I am selfish. I am self-centered. I'm driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion. I got all that shit going on and I'm selfish and I don't even know I'm selfish and above. And I think I'm okay because I'm not drinking and above everything. I got to get rid of the selfishness, but I don't even know I am selfish because I think I'm a good aa -er. And it says, apparently it says somewhere in there above everything. We got to get rid of the selfishness. Muster kills us. God makes that possible. You know, but but it but if you're staying sober at AA and you got 10 years, you got 12 years, which is a nice chunk of time. Nobody's going to tell you you need to get God. But I was not. But what happened to me 
is I had a wonderful thing happen to me, and that is I was not happy with my sobriety. In other words, some people just drink. You remember Russell? Yeah, he drank last night. Some people just drink. They don't even know they're not happy. They just drink. Or they disappear. They stop going to meetings. My, where I was blessed is I didn't just drink. I was going to drink meetings, but the meetings had no power for me anymore. The meetings didn't excite me anymore. I, didn't, I, I wasn't happy with my sobriety. So I'm looking around to try to figure out what's wrong. Some guy says, why don't you go to Bible study? Of course, the first thing I say is absolutely not because I'm an AA and AA frowns upon that. But then I started thinking, you know, when you're scared, fear is not a good reason to not do something when you're, you know, God puts people in your life. So I started going to Bible study. Sat next to a guy who had 50 years in AA. Okay. Now this is just my story. I'm not saying you have to do it, but I, you know, one of the things we do, it says our stories disposed in a general way, what we used to be like, what happened, whatever. So this is my story. Okay. The great news about AA is you're going to get a lot of guys that'll tell you their story and they hate God or they got a hard on for that, or they don't think you have to do this or all, whatever it is, they're going to be spiritual, not religious. And you're free to follow them. If you want, if, if you do what they did, if you want what they have, what do they have, if you want that deal. So what happened is after 10 years and I started reading up on this stuff and getting involved in the God thing and hanging around with other men whose whole lives were based upon all they did in the morning, they prayed to God in the night, they prayed to God before they ate dinner, they prayed to God. Their whole life was about God. All of a sudden, I picked up the big book and I saw that there was an invisible book in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's an invisible book. I'm going to tell you this right now. It's invisible. I didn't see it. Let me tell you about the second book. I haven't written down. This is probably the second book is all about how he is our father and we are his child. And that's the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we pass the freedom. It's about my absolute need to utterly abandon myself and my life to God, to seek a closer connection to God, to live a life of service for God by helping others, by performing works of service and never apologizing for my faith in God, to grow in his image and likeness repeatedly, to seek his first, his kingdom, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First things first. That's what Dr. Bob said. That he was everything, he was everything, and there is no middle-of-the-road solution. The first few years I was sober, I only read the first book. I only saw the first book. The second book was invisible to me. Now, the only book I read is the second book. The only thing I see when I pick up the book Alcoholics Anonymous is a book about connecting to God. Every step to me has God in it. Every step to me is connecting to God. So I've got steps. So you have to understand, I don't talk about the steps the way I talked about the steps when I had five years. I don't talk about the steps like I talk about the steps when I had 10 years. I talk about the steps the way I talk about this. My, my faith in God and the way I read the big book informs me as to what these steps really mean. I look at them differently. There are people that will take the steps until the cows come home and they'll look at it reading the first book and they'll drink after 20 years and they'll drink after 10 years and they'll think, hey, it doesn't work. And they'll try to they'll run around trying to figure out what's wrong. And they'll walk out of rooms when people talk about God. You know, and they won't understand what is the problem. So let me read you some from step seven, because I sometimes you wonder. 
if step seven is all about God, why do they, why do they put it before step eight? Because maybe, 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 maybe the attitude of step seven has something to do with how much you'll actually get out of step eight and nine. I don't let me let me run this by you again. Maybe the juice you'll get out of step eight and nine is totally dependent upon how well you do six and seven. Maybe a guy who's really into six and seven and believes in God will get something out of eight and nine that somebody that isn't there won't get. Does that make any sense? You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe that's why they put it there. So this is what step seven says. It says, since this step is so specifically concerns itself with humility, we should pause here to consider what humility is and what the practice of it can mean to us. Is indeed the attainment of greater humility is the foundation principle of each of AA's 12 steps. Each of AA's 12 steps have to do is informed by the principle of a greater degree of humility. No alcohol can stay sober at all, at all unless he has without some degree of humility. Nearly all AAs have found too that unless they develop much more of this precious quality than may be required for just physical sobriety, they still haven't much chance of becoming truly happy. Without it, they cannot live to, to much useful purpose or in adversity be able to summon the faith that can meet any emergency. So apparently, in order, you can do, you can do mechanically six, seven, eight, nine, ten, whatever the hell you do it, want to do it. But apparently, there's, if you really want to get something out of step eight and nine, and four and five and 10 and 11, really got to get into this men from the boys thing. This men, the separation of the men from the boys is really something. So let me tell you two stories. Okay, and, and, and put it to you this way a little bit differently. Um, when I was seven years sober, I had a friend named John, John K. He's, he's deceased now. He's passed away. A wonderful guy. I really love the guy. We hung around all the time. And uh, one day he uh, came up to me and, and we both knew a guy. Well, I knew a guy very well. And Bill is here from New Jersey named Dane Carell who's passed away also. He was had 40 years in AA. He helped me out tremendously. He's one of these guys I hung out with. And John said to me one day, John had 11 years. I had like seven or eight years. And John said to me, why don't we meet at JJ's diner at seven o'clock tomorrow? We'll have dinner and then go to the meeting. I said, sure. So I showed up at JJ's diner and, uh, and John didn't show up. So what happened was I went to uh, I, I, I went to the meeting and John was there. And I said, you know, John, I showed up at JJ's diner and you weren't there. And he said, I know something came up. Sorry about that. I said, OK, he says, but I'll tell you what, I'll meet you tomorrow night at JJ's, you know, at seven o'clock and we'll go to the meeting after that. I said, fine. So the next night I I showed up at JJ's diner and John wasn't there and I tried to call him. He didn't answer the phone and. And I saw him at the meeting. I said, you know, I showed up again at JJ's diner. You weren't there. He says, yeah, I know. Something came up. 
And uh, so he says, but I'll tell you what, tomorrow night, I'll meet you at J.J. Stein and we'll go to dinner. And so I showed up at J.J. Stein. Now, don't get ahead of me here. Don't get ahead of me. I, I can tell you're getting ahead of me. And John, with 11 years, didn't show up. And I saw him at the, I said, you know, I showed up at the, and you didn't show up. He says, yeah, I know. I had to do something else. I couldn't make it. So now I'm, I'm going nuts, you know, with seven years. I mean, I'm building like a resentment. What, what kind of assholes, you know, what, I'm, it's in my mind, you know, and all that stuff. So I go up to Dane Carell and I tell Dane Carell the exact story I told you looking for, you know, basically somebody to give me an answer why John's such an asshole or what kind of idiot does this, you know? And Dane Carell spent a half an hour beating the shit out of me. And all he wanted to know was why I showed up the second time. That's all he wanted. He didn't want to talk about John. He just wanted to know why I showed up. What was it in me when I was stood up that said, okay, and I'll show up the second time? What kind of, some people call it codependency, some people, whatever you want to call it, people please, I don't know what it was. He wanted me to look at that. So after he went through that and I admitted whatever the heck I admitted, I was a, a jerk or I had a problem, or I had to work on that. Then I said to him, he's feeling a little calmer. I said, well, what about John? And he said, John's not sober. I said, no, John's got 11 years. He says, John's not sober. I said, no, he's got 11 years. He says, Russell, he's not sober. Sober people don't do that. Now, several years later, John was drinking and I came to realize, and he came back in the day and I came to realize that he was sort of like a depressive. And during that period of time, he was taking Xanax. He'd gone to a psychiatrist and all that sort of stuff. Now, Dan Carell, without even looking at him, knew he wasn't sober. I had no idea because Dan Carell, when Dan Carell thought about sobriety, when he talked about somebody being sober, to him, being sober had nothing to do with not drinking. I don't want to say it had nothing to do. It was not about not drinking. The way he saw AA, was there was there was 90% or 95% of people who were not drinking and there were 5% who were sober. That's the way the old timers that I hung out with, they didn't think you were sober just because you weren't drinking. I mean, I'm just telling you, that's who I grew up with. That's what I grew up with. They had a different idea of what sobriety was. And it had to do really with how you treated other people. So a guy comes up to me, this is a true story. And he says to me, will you sponsor me? And I say, sure, I'll sponsor you. He says, cause I want to work the steps. And I, I say to him, and this has happened a gazillion times to me, a gazillion times to me. And I say to him, uh, Okay, well, I'll send you an email so you can find out where I'm going to be and what I'm going to be and what's happening and everything like that. So you can hang out with me. Call me up if you have a problem. I say whatever I say, you know, I give him some suggestions. I don't give out a lot of assignments because if I give somebody an assignment, then I might have to check up on them to make sure they did the assignment. And then if they don't do the assignment, then I would get upset and I'd ask them to get the assignment and... You know, I love my life too much to get upset over that fucking bullshit. You know what I mean? I figure if he doesn't do it, he'll die, you know? And, you know, there's other people that really want this thing. So, 
they'll figure it out one way or the other. I mean, I'm not that mean. I mean, I really will try to help people, but I don't, I don't, it's, I'm, I'm not a parole officer. I'm not a probation officer. They call me up every day. I'm just checking in. You don't have to fucking check in with me. I'm not a probation officer. Don't worry. Call me up when you have a problem. So, so I say to the guy, I say to the guy, look, this is just an example. I go to a men's meeting every day on Zoom. I love the meeting. There's between 50 and 100 men at that meeting from all over the world. A third of them have more than 40, more than 30 years. There's a whole bunch of them that have more than 40 and 50 years. It's an incredible meeting. You need to go there. It's every day at 12 o'clock on Zoom. And he looks at me and he says, I don't like Zoom. I can't help him. Do you understand? I can't, I can't do anything with that man. I can't do, I, I mean, it's not like, it's not like I'll say I fire, I don't, I never fire people. You never have to fire somebody in AA, they commit suicide. You don't have to, they fire themselves, you know, they just don't show up. You know, I, I say to a guy, I say to a guy, because uh, this is what I did. I say to a guy, listen, we're going up to Lester's, why don't you meet me at Lester's diner? We'll all eat with all the guys, we'll hang out together. And they say, uh, no, I can't make it. I have to, you know, shampoo the canary. <laughs> and I think that's kind of far. Well, we'll pick you up. No, nah, I don't get, you know, whatever. They give me another excuse. So I, well, why don't we do the next one? No, I can't do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> so that happens like about 10 or 15 times, you know, sort of like a John thing. And, uh, and then they'll finally say to me, say, well, when are we going to start working the steps? I said, I've been trying to work the steps with you. Meeting for lunch is working the steps. The first step has to do with getting to the point in your life where you realize you're powerless over alcohol, your life is unmanageable, and so you'll follow directions. You'll follow directions. I said, how can I work the steps with you when you can't even fucking have lunch? <laughs> I mean, you know, it says, if you want what we have and you're willing to go to any length to get it, I mean, is lunch like too hard a deal? I don't like Zoom. Is that too hard a deal? I mean, my sponsors would tell me to do shit. Show up here. I'd show up there. Ray O'Keefe told me one time, meet me for lunch. I wanted what he had. He had 40 years. He was an incredible man. Circuits. I wanted what he said. Meet me for lunch at uh, Shula's at 12 o'clock. I drove 10 miles Got to Shuler's at like 12.05, got out of my car, went in, and I said, where's Professor O'Keefe? He says, he was just here. I don't know. He was just here. I looked around. I says, I don't know. He was here. I call him up. I say, Ray, I'm here. I said, he's, I said I'm here. He says, what time is it? I said, it's 12.10. He says, I told, I told you 12 o'clock. I said, I told you 12 o'clock. The next day I showed up, the next time I showed up 10 minutes early. You know, the men I hung out with did not want to play around with dilettantes. They want, he wanted to, he wanted somebody, why waste his time on somebody who wasn't serious? You know, you, you ever hear this line, you can talk the talk, but can you walk the walk? I mean, there's one thing alcoholics can do is, is bullshit. You know, they say shit like, I really want to do this stuff. I'll tell you when you find where they want to do it, where they show, where they show up, you know? And, and I think when you show up and you start doing stuff like that and you become totally committed to AA, 
and you're into the sixth step, you know, and, and you really want to base your life and you're committed to that stuff and you're not doing half measures. I think these are the people that actually get some lasting crap and grow up and become men and not children in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I think it's possible to look like you're doing the steps, look like you're doing something that looks like it's a form of AA and not get much out of it except maybe not drink for a few years, you know, but not be rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence. And I know that's true because I know most people in AA are not rocketed into the fourth dimension of existence. They haven't been born again. They have not gotten to that place in time where the God has become the centerpiece of their lives. They're like at that place in time where they talk about in the seventh step where they may say they believe in God, but their belief is barren. It doesn't work because they're not committed to that deal. They're more committed to trying to manage their lives. <clears throat> they don't want what, what we have. They want what they used to have. They want what the rest of the world has. Run around trying to get things in this world, you know, so that they can be comfortable or have pleasure. That's not what this is all about. This is about... I know what this is about because it says it 50,000 times in the big book, different ways. It's about sincerely giving your life to God who will give you everything you need and you could possibly ever need if you stay close to him and perform his works well. And his works are that you trust him, you become a servant for him because leaders are trusted servants and you're, you try to maximize your help to other people and a kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You got to devote yourself to helping other people. I know, I know what I, the book is very clear to me who God is. I don't sit around trying to, it's very hard to get closer to God. If you don't know who the hell he is, he's not invisible to me. I know exactly what, what he is and who, what he wants, because the big book tells me, you know, you can call the God of the big book or whatever it is. You know, I have to be a Christian God, but you can call him anything you want, but I know what it, it says. It says he wants me to be honest. He wants me to be loving. It wants me to devote my life to helping other people, not only alcoholics, anybody that comes to my path. It tells me exactly how I'm supposed to be and how I'm supposed to act. And what's the most important thing in my life supposed to be? I mean, I don't want to be, because you see, if I start making believe, that making up my own God, my God will allow me, you can't imagine the shit my, my God would allow me to get away with. You can't even imagine I'll have the God of please, uh, please do everything I want you to do, you know, and, and give me a million dollars. And uh, you know what I mean? I, I don't have one of those. I'll never be able to understand. See, my God is the kind of God that he will allow me to suffer. And I'll learn the value of suffering because that's how he grows me in his image and his likeness. And I don't get pissed off about it. You know, I may not like it. I say, thank you, God. I know at the other end of this, all things work for good for them who loves you and it's called to your purpose. And I know I'm going to grow up and have some character and get closer to you as soon as I get through this. That's, that's my God. That's God of my understanding. That was the God of their understanding. You know, we were almost called the James Club. You know, I have this, um, my God is written all over the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 and 12. A God of not having resentments, but loving other people. A God of making amends to other people when you did something wrong. You know, a God of, 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 of what they, they, one of the books I read was Sermon on the Mount, a God that says, don't look at the, uh, the, the speck in your brother's eye, look at the beam in your eye. The God that says that if you want to be close to me and you owe something to your brother, you're in trouble with your brother, make up with him first. 
You know what I mean? I mean, I know, I know who my God is. I know what the big book told. I know, I know where they got the shit from. I know exactly where they got all the steps from and Alcoholics Anonymous. You know why? Because when I was 10 years sober, some guy said, why don't you start reading the Bible? And I started reading the books they were reading. And you know something? I go to Amy's. I talk about this stuff all the time and I never apologize for it. You know why? Because the big book says we never apologize for God. We're on a new basis. We trust God. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. They never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate in our lives what he can do for us. So I'm just, I'm just following the, you can follow the big book or you can follow the fellowship. You know what the fellowship is. It's not, I just want to tell you something. I love the fellowship. It ain't well people's anonymous. I just in case you thought you wound up in well people's anonymous. Okay. It's a whole bunch of people, 95% of which don't want to hear this shit and don't want to do it. Want to do just enough to not drink and be okay. You know, they ain't looking for extra credit, okay? So, but I'll tell you, if you want the good stuff, you got to find those guys and those girls that are committed to this thing and reading the big book. Thank you very much. That's all I have to say. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.